suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Well, hello there, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, episode 327. It's the 15th of February, 2022, and the religious discrimination bill has been put on the back burner, back burner for a little while at least. So we're going to talk about that. This is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. There'll be plenty of religion talk in tonight's episode. Um, I'm Trevor, aka the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Shay, the subversive. Good evening. And Joe, the tech guy. Evening, all. If you're in the chat room, Tony is in the chat room. Hi, Tony. And by the way, Tony, I'm going to be in Sydney uh, next month. Uh, let me see. I reckon Friday the 11th. For any patrons in Sydney, we'll get together at the usual venue. So look out for news about that. So that would be. The Friday the 11th of March, I reckon. So good to see you, Tony. Looking forward to seeing you then. Anyone else in Sydney who wants to catch up with us, it's a nice group of people down there. We get together in a pub in the city and have a chat. And um, one of the nice things about it is that um, because everyone sort of listens to the podcast, we've got all this um, understanding and knowledge that's already there and we can just launch into topics because everybody's familiar with them. And um yeah, so you've never met these people before, but you can talk about things as if you've known them all your life. So it's really good. So hi there to Landon Hardbottom. Uh, he's in the chat room. <laughs> he actually has something to say later on. And Di Straits and Bronwyn and David Cox. Uh, hello to everybody. So, well, um, you know, I, I send the notes to Shay and Joe uh, a couple of days before the before we do this podcast. And I tell you, the notes on this one relating to religious discrimination bill are pretty long. I don't expect you to read them all, Shay. Like, <laughs> I'm glad because, yeah. Probably got up to 50, 60 pages of stuff there, I reckon, um, with just trying to explain what happened with this religious discrimination bill and maybe the history of it and uh, all the rest of it. I mean, this podcast, dear listener, if you're new to us, we started off uh, Scott and I, we were both members of the Secular Party at the time and very heavily focused on religion and secular stuff. So this is a big, you know, moment uh, in secularism and uh, religious discrimination in Australia. So it's going to get some attention. We're going to give it plenty. Let us know your thoughts in the chat room. And, um, yeah, we'll kick off. So, I mean, Shay and Joe, before I launch into my rants over this stuff, I'll, I'll let you get some words in now before beforehand. Did you, <laughs> what, what impressions did you have um, post, you know, with, with the sort of thing falling over the way it did? Did you have any strong impressions at all? Thank God for City Point. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I think this would have snuck through had City Point not happened. Yes. That's what was scary. Um, and you kind of think, was the principal on our side? Was he deliberately trying to do this? I can assure you he wasn't. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> I, I was actually prompted uh, to go heavily into the background of City Point, which we're going to do first up, because it is interesting, the whole City Point thing. So my son Joe said the same thing, that um, City Point was a big factor in this, and mm. he said, you know, why don't we organise people on our side to infiltrate places like that and encourage them to do what they did because it was so helpful to the cause. <laughs> it was. So, dear listener, City Point, of course, um, is the school in Brisbane which um, came out and uh, requested that parents sign a contract and, uh, and uh, of course, there was just uproar over the contents of it. So um, you might remember that they said in the contract... Um, we believe that any form of sexual immorality, including but not limited to adultery, fornication, homosexual acts, bisexual acts, bestiality, incest, pedophilia and pornography is sinful and offensive to God and is destructive to human relationships and society. I mean, that's that's the tone of the contract. And um, really it was so handy, as I think everyone realises, because so often the argument is, oh, schools... They'll never do, you know, these laws yes. are in place, but they'll never need them. They'll never use them. It's it's just for some really odd occasions that perhaps something strange, like they'll never need it. And they're not the sort of people who do that. Mm. And the city point was just great because people everywhere could point to it and go, well, they will. This is, these are the sorts of people who are out there and who will use it. It's not just some theoretical power that will never be used. When you read mm. the sort of stuff well, these I, guys are saying. The, the bill had said it was okay as long as you told everyone up front in a contract. Yes. And I think they were trying to preempt that by getting everyone to sign a contract saying this is what our ethos is. Indeed. Yeah. That's right. That was one of the things in this whole yep. negotiation was, well, provided a school discloses what its ethos is, then it should be able to do whatever it likes. Which is crazy. Uh, I, I had a gay friend who was, oh, my God, have you heard about City Point? And I'm mm. going, you do realise there's a religious privilege bill mm. um, that's pushing exactly this. Were you aware of it? No, no idea. Mm. Yep. Wow. So, yeah. 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 And Just, certainly you're right about the way it got so much coverage. Even one of my other news podcasts that I listened to, The Briefing, they did a sort of in-depth look at it with a couple of uh, people who attend City Point mm. and it was, you know, blended families and people who didn't actually really think about the way this bill might be used. Right. Previously actually giving it some thought. It's not necessarily just about, you know, gay and trans, but a whole range of things mm. Christians aren't for. Yeah. Well, um, Jesus mm. mentions divorce Ten times, I think, yeah. and he says nothing about gay people. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Roman in the chat room says, "I bet that the local libs were on the blower straight away to the city point people, ordering them to close things down fast." The thing is, Broman, the local libs are the city point people. They're one. Of, <laughs> yes. They're one and the same. Our Lord Mayor, Liberal Shriner, Shriner, Adrian Shriner, is that? He's he's an old, he's a graduate from City Point. 
um, so our Brisbane Lord Mayor, and they've certainly got their tentacles into the Liberal Party in all sorts of ways. So, yeah, um, I guess some of the other libs would have been onto them and saying, shush, stop that. But, um, uh, so, yeah. The other thing that we didn't talk about the last time we raised City Point was, you know how we were talking about schools and who mm. goes to which school and who becomes elite? Yes. Um, this mother was saying that she chose City Point partly because of the locale, which I hadn't considered as well. So often parents are just going, oh, it seems like a good school and it's handy enough and it's between the two parents' houses. Yep. Let's roll with that. Yep. You know, so and totally being, different priorities and private, that's why, mm, yeah. And being a private school, they kick out the riffraff and they also mm. don't accept, you know, anyone they don't want to accept, the hard-to-teach kids, the kids who are maybe disabled mm. physically or uh, intellectually. I mean, the ones that are expensive to educate, they just say, you know, you should probably go somewhere else. We, we just want kids mm. who are easy. So, I mean, that's the whole point of private schools is they are able to say no to the cohort that are expensive to teach and uh, and just, uh, you know, that's one of their advantages. So, yeah. Um, Bromman says, big strategic error though, Trevor. Of course it was, but the, yes, <laughs> indeed. So, um, so yeah, um, you know, Ruddock Inquiry, We've had years of submissions. We've had millions of words of argument about the pros and cons of all the bits and pieces of this bill. And at the end of the day, it came down to one word, I think, which was transgender. And it came down to one person who was, I think, Fiona Martin, one of mm. the Liberals who crossed the floor. So basically, uh, if we look back in the history of this, um, Oh, let me, yeah, I do want to go into the history of it first. Yes, I'll skip around my notes that I was preparing for. So what we essentially had uh, back in the dying days of the Turnbull uh, government, so, and we go back to episode 170 uh, in this podcast where we were talking about this. So um, what we had was the marriage equality laws uh, had been passed. And, of course, the religious right was just in uproar this had got through they were pissed and were feeling persecuted and mm -hmm. to placate them prime minister turnbull gave them and said you can have a ruddock inquiry we'll look into religious discrimination and see what there is and and now shut up and so you know right at this moment i've noticed malcolm's wife what's her name i can't remember what it is but she's been commenting is on twitter lucy, lucy yes Lucy yeah. and sort of congratulating the ones who crossed the um, chamber and stuff like that. And it's like, your husband was responsible for this. Stop pretending to be supporting people who are now trying to fix his mess because he's the one who started this by agreeing, to, you know, by giving an erotic inquiry to these people. So, you know, Lucy Turnbull, your husband, has a large uh, fingerprint all over this. Anyway... So he said, yeah, Ruddock Inquiry, you can have it. And, of course, it was stacked with religious zealots, not a single pro-secular person on the panel. It had people like Father Frank Brennan, Jesuit priest, the same Frank Brennan who said, if I hear a confession and somebody um, confesses to pedophilia, I will not tell the police without that person's permission. I mean, he's one of the panellists. 
there was uh, Nicholas Aroni, Professor Nicholas Aroni, who said religious freedom should include the right to practice Sharia law within limits. He was part of the panel. So it was stacked with religious zealots. There was a few people there who seemed neutral, but nobody who you would certainly call on the, um, uh, with any sort of fame for being pro-secular, if you like. So Ruddock Review um, produced recommendations which Prime Minister Turnbull didn't like and he was too embarrassed to reveal, if you recall, like the report had been submitted to the government and they sat on it for months, clearly because they were embarrassed about the recommendations that were in there, specifically the recommendations that we should write a law to make it legal to expel and discriminate against gay and lesbian students, you know, allow religious schools to do this. So Turnbull sat on it. It got um, uh, shelved and sort of hidden away and that, uh, that upset you know, the religious zealots and eventually it got leaked. Now, at the time it got leaked, we had a new Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and he didn't mind not too much because he actually liked the ideas. <laughs> so when it got leaked and he was asked, so you're comfortable with a school expelling a student because they are gay or lesbian? And he replied, it is existing law. And that's true. It was existing law. And uh, it was existing law in the Sex Discrimination Act. And and the beauty about that whole thing at the time was, I mean, I remember chortling with Scott over this one as, you know, what a great backfire because suddenly people were talking about it and going, what do you mean there's this law that allows you to do this? We never knew that was the case. And Scott Morrison's having to say, well, it's, it's always there. It was existing law. It's existing law. And he, um, unfortunately, in terms of timing, had a by-election coming up. And in order to, to placate... Um, the sort of the electorate, he agreed that he would pass a law that changed that so that gay and lesbian kids could not be expelled by private religious schools. So way back then, right at the very beginning of his prime ministership, he, uh, he basically gave that commitment that they would be protected. Now, since that day until, you know, the 9th of February or whatever it was, he did nothing about it and, in fact, while he was pushing through all of his religious discrimination bills or bill and his various drafts and stuff, and people would say, hey, what about the kids are being discriminated against, the gay and lesbian ones? Oh, we'll get to that, but we've got to get through this first of all. It was always pushed to the back, always going to be something that happened down the track. So um, he never dealt with it, and his failure to deal with it ended up being fatal the other day. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and of course, at the time when he announced that, um, that caused the religious zealots to feel persecuted again. So, uh, so that's the sort of um, background to the religious discrimination bill and its formation. And um, um, so, the other day with the with the bill, and we're going to get into the finer details of exactly what happened. But essentially, it got to the point where Morrison acknowledged that he would, as part of the whole process, 
pass legislation that would stop gay and lesbian kids from being expelled. And people said, what about transgender? And he said, no, can't go there, essentially. And that was enough for a handful of Liberals to cross the floor. And we'll talk about who they were and how they did it. But essentially, there were two who were always going to cross the floor. Um, And it was a third one, Fiona Martin, who when she crossed the floor, that then meant another couple came across as well. So really, if she hadn't, there were two who were only going to cross if the numbers had already failed the government. So it was really one person and one word, um, transgender and Fiona Martin. So we came very close to things panning out a bit differently on the day. I mean, it still would have gone to the Senate, still would have been arguments, but it was very close. And look, as you're going to find out when we're talking about City Point and the uh, religious right in the rest of this episode, these people are not going to give in. So, okay, even if Labor wins, even if Labor did nothing, um, there'll eventually be a Liberal government and these guys will bop, you know, pop their heads up again, by which time they would have stacked more branches and had more members and got more numbers. These guys play the long game. And, you know, while it might be over for the moment, it's going to come back for sure. They're just going to get their numbers up again and away they'll go. So, um, so it's over for the time being, but it's going to, you know, come up again. So, um, yeah, so Bridget Archer and Trent Zimmerman were the first two to cross the floor and Fiona Martin provided the crucial vote. Uh, they were then joined by Dave Sharma and Katie Allen who said they would cross the floor if the government was already set to lose the vote. So, um, so yeah, had Fiona not crossed, then um, uh, who knows what would have happened. All right. So we mentioned City Point. Anybody want any comments before I move on to the background now of City Point or I'll just keep going? So, okay. I was keep just going. thinking those yep. two MPs. Yes. Kind of like the Italians during the war. Right. <laughs> oh, our side's losing, so uh, we'll cross over to the other side. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I feel strongly about this, but only if we're if, – if, it's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? Right. What, what? It is. It is terrible, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, City Point. So, so really the story begins and ends with City Point, I think, because City Point provided the uh, concrete example to Australia of what shitty religious schools are prepared to do and say and – um, sort of lifted the lid on on what goes on. So, but really, City Point is also at the beginning of the story. So, um, so the City Point Church. Uh, um, now, this I'm taking from uh, a book called "Taking God to." Oh, maybe it was yeah, "Taking God to School" by Marion Maddox. A well thumbed copy. She's written other books, which uh, includes God Under Howard. So, uh, so a lot of what I'm about to say about City Point is actually from Marion Maddox's um, book. So, um, City Point Church is uh, home of the Red Frogs. So, when you hear about the um, Red Frog groups getting around for schoolies, um, always on the news. It always wor- worried me. Mm. Yeah. 
They made me a little bit uncomfortable when I was at schoolies as well. Did they? Yeah, what's the meaning of you? I don't really get it. Yeah. So. Like, why aren't you drinking like everyone else? (laughs) Yeah. So red frogs, traditionally people in their early 20s who are around during schoolies, checking on people if they're drunk and need to be walked home and. Had the mm. vomit I, I wiped off them. Yeah. No, the <laughs> red, that's a different. That's a different. <laughs> that's how they looked. The tulies, <laughs> the different lollies. The tulies are the ones <laughs> looking for sex. But the, but, <laughs> but the red frogs handing out red frogs, helping people. You know, they'll come into the units and help them clean up. And you know, on the face of it, great. But of course, mm. they use it as an opportunity um, to say, "Hey, you know, what do you think about Jesus?" and all the rest of it. So they use it as a selling tool uh, to try and get more people in. So so City Point um, basically operates the Red Frogs um, chaplaincy network and it's also home to the Christian Outreach Centre denomination. So I can remember the Christian Outreach Centre being quite big in as, as a terminology back when I was a teenager. Or cockers they're otherwise known. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. COC. Christian Outreach Centre. So um, the college opened in 1978, uh, so City Point did, first known as Christian Outreach College, and this was during the first wave of new private school openings. Following the increases in education funding by Whitlam, and that funding was also tweaked by Malcolm Fraser. So that was when the federal government decided to allow funding or provide funding for private schools, which did not happen um, prior to that. And the Christian groups went, this is a good lurk, we can start a school, so the government will pay the money. So until then you'd basically had the state schools and you'd had elite um, Catholic and Anglican sort of private schools and that point, City Point was an example of this new form of Christian school that was a bit more low cost, low fees sort of school that cropped up at the time. So uh, it was a creation of a, of a new sort of category of, of school sector, if you like. And um, so City Point um, became the first of a family of Christian outreach college affiliated schools. And um, in this book, there's a guy, Sam Hay, describes the church itself. So uh, this is now her book, by the way, is back. Um, let's see, 2014 it was published. So this is still the case back in 2014. The main auditorium is more like an entertainment or shopping centre. This is the um, the Christian Outreach College Centre Point. Uh, near the front entrance is a large commercial cafe, well-stocked bookshop, and extensive information booth with F-Posh machines for collecting donations. The wide entrance hall leads into a huge auditorium with over 2,000 seats. This is fronted by a large stage with musicians and a team of singers energetically presenting their own compositions of high-tempo music. Five large electronic screens extend back across the back of the stage with chorus words overlaying images of the performers. 30 minutes of carefully planned singing is followed by a well-organised welcome and announcements in a message that focuses more on contemporary life than religious themes. That sounds exactly like the Hillsong event that we went to a few years ago. Um, Mm. So if you go on to the Centrepoint campus, you'll find the Kay and John Gagliari Centre. So this is the primary school's specialist building for Year 1 students, the Kay and John 
Gagliari Centre. So who was John Gagliari? He was a journalist, public relations advisor, well-travelled businessman, a string of achievements in religion and politics. Uh, he was the founding chairman of the City Point's tertiary institution called the Christian Heritage College and he was a member of its course development committee. He is the media and communications manager for the national denomination of Christian Outreach College and he served on the international relief arm. So this is John Gagliardi, obviously heavily involved in City Point. Guess what? He co-founded the Australian Christian Lobby in Canberra. This is, this is how this, we end up with, I mean, he's part of this whole dominionist crowd and part of setting up the Australian Christian Lobby and he was deeply involved in setting up City Point and is part of City Point. So City Point isn't just some crazy... Uh, new group who's sprung up out of the blue and have ruined things for the um, Australian Christian Lobby and the other hardline Christian groups in Australia. Centrepoint are that group. They are the beginning. They're the ones who started it all. And, you know, Gagliardi started the Australian Christian Lobby. So this was the very centre of that movement, not some crazy offshoot that basically shot the movement in the foot, if you like. So, um, so yeah, it comes from the very heart of the movement, City, City Point. And so when we look at just the irony of it, that they've done all this work over all these years in setting these politicians up, in, in seeding these people into power, in creating the Australian Christian Lobby and pushing for this religious discrimination bill, and, um, and they're the ones who, at this point in time, stuffed it up but they'll be back again but just for the moment yeah so that's interesting um i find that city point has that history um so yes so setting up the australian christian lobby um and you know gagliardi launched it the acl in 1995 and he formed committees raised funds and he was um its first president and he was its patron at one stage, so uh, straight out of the heart of, of City Point. Um, what else have we got here? So, so yeah, and of course these people are, are really into a form of a neo-Pentecostalism, very much into combining church and state, whereas really previously our old-fashioned churches were very much into separating church and state and and that's quite different to these guys who feel this whole dominionism movement that... Um, well, the Anglicans weren't. Well, uh, not, nowhere near what these guys are. I mean, particularly in the early days of Federation, both sides wanted didn't want religion taught in state schools because they didn't want their the Anglican side. kids becoming Catholic and being influenced by the Catholics and vice versa. So... There was a, a certainly a, a more of a degree, and I know myself talking to a woman who was in the Uniting Church, one of the one of the teachers in the religious instruction movement. She said we stopped doing it because we figured we should just be doing this on Sundays. What's what's the point? And it's too hard to get volunteers. So the more traditional ones, I would maintain, are far more 
keen to have church-state separation than these new guys. I was just referring to the fact that our head of state happens to be head of the Anglican Church. Uh, yes, in in the sense of our, um, our governor Gen- Oh, our Queen, yes. Sorry, yes, indeed. So, um, okay, um, let me see. What else have I got about City Point? Oh, there's an article about um, uh, the Guardian did an excellent article about the um, City Point and its reach into the uh, Liberal National Party. And in 2018, when the Queensland Parliament decriminalised abortion in the state, one of the local LNP MPs, Steve Minikin, voted with his conscience and supported the bill to legalise abortion. Text messages shown to Guardian Australian this week sent among City Point churchgoers in the months after the vote listed the nearby suburbs within Minikin's electorate and sought people there who were willing to get political and fight back. By February 2019, more than 40 new or transferring members had applied to join Minikin's party branch and the LNP executive intervened to prevent a pre-selection contest. It's just classic of what we hear going on around the country when they sign people up and get them to join political parties. Um, In this thing it says here, the Guardian says, while there is no suggestion the church leadership was involved in recruiting people to join the branch, um, City Point's global pastors Mark and Lee Ramsey have been vocal in their support for LNP politicians and attacks on Labor. So the senior global pastors for City Point, one of them, Lee Ramsey, described Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk as irrational, and deplorable and posted frequent criticisms of her in the months before the 2020 election. And um, and ahead of the 2019 federal election, Mark Ramsey posted a portrait of Prime Minister Scott Morrison and said, quote, this election is not about what party you prefer, it's about good godly leadership. But this is the sort of entry into the political sphere that these people are willing to do. So. Um, uh, Tony in the chat room has to go back to work. He'll catch up with the rest of the podcast later. Good on you, Tony. Um, all right. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, there's links to the Liberal Party in City Point and Adrian Schrinner, Lord Mayor of Brisbane, is one of them. And um, at the last state election, the LNP selected City Point pastor Jeanette Wishart run in the local electorate of Mansfield. Her campaign posters were strung along the fence line of the City Point campus and many of the volunteers were drawn from the church. She now works in the office of the Leader of the Opposition, David Chrisafulli. So there we go. That's City Point. Now, um, I just have to mention actually at this point that we got some listener feedback and uh, let me just try and play this for you now. Adultery, fornication, homosexual acts, bisexual acts, bestiality, incest, pedophilia and pornography. Cheryl, scan our computer and devices for malware. Someone's leaked our Pornhub playlist to the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Landon. Long time no here, but good to hear from you. (laughs) 
Uh, and um, and there's a bit of a uh, a Noosa connection with um, this because the Noosa Church is sort of affiliated with City Point Christian College and Robin Bristow up there has been working hard at different times trying to highlight to people what's been going on. Um, they were offering hydration stations which they were using uh, as a means of proselytising and they also run the local Christmas carols event which people were complaining about because rather than the normal Christmas hymns you'd expect, they got into some quite obscure um, hillsongy type stuff. So anyway, um, so that's that. Uh, that's City Point. That's City Point's really our beginning and our end, I think, and our future when it comes to the Religious Discrimination Bill. Um, right. We don't need a Religious Discrimination Bill. Reason number one, religious people are not discriminated against. They're not victims. They're in charge. Look who's in charge of this country. Scott Morrison, Pentecostal, openly Christian, overt. And how many of the cabinet? Indeed. Josh Frydenberg, mm. Jewish. Anthony Albanese, opposition leader, has said there is, he was raised with three great faiths, the Catholic Church, the South Sydney Football Club and Labor. This is not what normal people say. No. Mark Dreyfus, Attorney General, Shadow Attorney General, Jewish. Christina Keneally, bleeding Catholic, and we'll get mm. on to Christina Keneally. She is going to be yeah. a problem for the Labor she Party. She is going to be a big problem. Yep. She's been she saying, was on Insiders. I had to turn it off. Yep. She's very much pro the idea of institutions having an ethos that needs to be mm. protected, mm. and she's going to be. She used to be a teacher in a Catholic school, apparently. Yes. We will get onto her. So actually, maybe mm. I've got that one here. Let me let me see if I've got um, let me see if I've got her here. Uh, okay, I'll play this one now. See we're talking about it. This is uh, Spears and Keneally. Should religious schools be able to hire and fire teachers based on whether they're gay or transgender? Well, Labor also supports the right of uh, religious schools, faith-based schools, uh, to be able to hire staff, whether it's teachers or other staff, that support the, the mission and the values of the school. I'm a former Catholic school teacher myself. Uh, my children and I are all educated in the Catholic school system, and I well understand. It's the basketball coach that leads the prayers before you go out on the court. It's the, it's the staff in the front office and how they deal with students. Uh, but this is a more complex issue, and so we do support it going to the Australian Law Reform Commission. Why do you need to further review whether schools should be able to sack a teacher for being gay? Well, in fact, I would argue that most religious schools don't want to sack a teacher for being gay. In my experience uh, with the Catholic school system intimately and as a former Premier, my experience with faith-based schools across uh, a wide range of faiths, that's not what they seek to do. Mm. Uh, I think what's important here is that schools are able to have staff who uphold the mission and the values of the school. They're mission-based organisations. They're there to educate and, and support children's development within a faith. Uh, but there are some intersections and there are some uh, complexities, and so we've, uh, we agree that the Australian Law Reform Commission should look but, at it. But, I mean, you know, as critics have pointed out, you wouldn't need to review whether a school should have the power to sack someone based on their race. Mm. Their, 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 their gender or sexual identity 
Um, shouldn't that be treated in a similar way? Well, I would point you to, in fact, uh, the private senator's bill that S uh, Penny Wong moved prior to the last election, where we sought to provide the parliament uh, with a, a, an approach on this issue, and, and the government walked... Oh, I can't watch anymore. It just... <laughs> I had 12 yeah, years I of... I had 12 years of Catholic schooling, dear listener, mm. and never prior to a sporting Any encounter... Activity. Did we get led in prayer by anybody? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she actually sounded Scottish there, but um, is she bringing her American upbringing into this? I, I don't know. I probably because I, the 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 basketball coach leading prayers is an American thing. I know true. very much of that. True, she's probably brought that culture with her. But, you know, she said most schools don't want to do that. Well, implicit in that is that some do, and that's exactly. why you need a law to say they can't. Labor is going to get in, tied up in all sorts of knots over this on yeah. teachers. And also the school's, the school's purpose is to indoctrinate children. Yes. Well, mm. no, the, the school's purpose is to raise good citizens and not, discriminating against people is part of that. Mm. And and if that's not their role, then why are we funding them? Yeah. So I don't trust her. I don't trust Albanese on this topic. No. Nope. Um, you know what I've been thinking this whole two weeks mm. is, that, is that you should resign from the Labor Party and you should run as an independent. Well. Like now. Because it's really urgent. It's really urgent that we get more secular voices in there. And you are prepped and you have a whole team of people here who would support you. I've already looked into the, the cost, so it's two grand. That's nothing. We can crowdfund that in no time. <laughs> not come, not come people in. Are looking for, people are looking for an alternative. New South Wales, the by-elections they did, you know. Yeah. You no. can win. No, I couldn't. I couldn't get traction. Um, unless I win my trod case. Trod already. Get you traction. The Australian talk, Christian talk, lobby, if they found out a Satanist was running. Talk to me if I win my court case. Otherwise I'm not <laughs> otherwise I'm not thinking about it. That'd be the only way to get notoriety. But uh no, I'm not uh it's impossible to break through with these things. But um It isn't impossible. It's entirely possible. <laughs> you can have another objection. But it can't be that it's impossible because but, yeah. it's entirely possible. Certainly. And there is an urgency and there is an appetite. Mm -hmm. Certainly I would say to people, um, vote for an independent or vote Greens who are clearly better on this topic than Labor is and then preference Labor and put Liberals last. So I think, yes. I think at least we have preferential voting where your vote is not lost and... Um, as we'll find out in the voting later, you know, at least the Greens, uh, the green, mm. the one Green member, um, and certainly in their policy, are uh, much better on this than the Labor Party. And yes. yeah, uh, at this stage, vote for an independent or a Green and preference Labor after that. So, um, so just back to why we don't need uh, discrimination bill. I said all the people who are in charge are actually obviously religious. It didn't stop them from running the country. Um, Mark Dreyfus, I mentioned, Christina Keneally, who we've just heard from. Governor-General David Hurley, raised an Anglican, and while wife Linda is a Presbyterian, they both keep fit. 
Mrs. Hurley hula hoops while reading the Bible every morning. That <laughs> it is their faith, they say, that binds them. Also, when federal parliament is in session, the Parliamentary Christian Fellowship meets fortnightly. About, about 60 members from all sides attend. That's more than a quarter of parliamentary members go to Christian Fellowship meets. A quarter of the population doesn't go to, you know, Christian Fellowship mm. meets. Um, and not all the Christians in Parliament attend the Fellowship. Uh, How much of that is a boys' club, though? Well, I don't know. Mm. I mean, it could be girls. There's probably there's women in it, I'm sure. Oh, possibly. Yeah. What I meant was how much of it is networking and, and less about your faith and more about being seen to be. Indeed. But the point is... Part of the club. It's not considered a disadvantage in the parliament oh, to be religious. Not. That's my whole point is, you know, religious people are the ones in power. It's a disadvantage to be non-religious. Um, also... Um, when they're taking their, when they're being sworn in, um, in the lower house, thirty-seven lower house MPs made an affirmation compared to one hundred and fourteen who swore oaths on religious texts. So, this just gives you an idea. Even the Ruddock report, after reviewing fifteen thousand submissions, found, by and large, Australians enjoy a high degree of religious freedom, and that basic protections are in place in Australian law. Ruddock himself said afterwards, quote, we didn't find a lot of evidence of actual material discrimination that would be of concern. But where we did, we brought it forward and some recommendations to help deal with it. Like even the Ruddock report said, couldn't really find anything Nothing significant. Exactly. Um, so there is not evidence of discrimination except, dear listener, when it comes to teachers, what's come out in the last, you know, few years and even more in the parliament with examples given, and I haven't read all of Hansard yet, are uh, the number of examples of teachers who are discriminated against in religious schools and sacked because of some contravention of some religious tenet that that particular institution happens to have. They're the ones who are actually genuinely facing discrimination and they're the ones who were completely ignored by both sides in this whole debate. I mean, it got down to just kids, transgender kids, teachers, gay, lesbian, transgender, they were forgotten long ago. Divorced. Divorced, IVF, wanting. What, what, just, what percentage of... Religious teaching jobs, sorry, what percentage of teaching jobs are in religious schools? 40%. So, so in, in, high words, school, if, in high schools in Australia, 40% of high school students are in private religious schools. So as an industry, as a teacher and a math children. teacher, um, yeah, so, so presumably it equates to the jobs as well, like it would be a well, roughly no, I, equivalent. I, no? Well, no, because uh, state schools have a, a lower, sorry, a higher number of pupils to teachers. Maybe. So it could be even more. It could be getting close to 50%. Yeah. If you're a math teacher, you might well find that half of your the jobs in your industry are in private religious schools. And if you are gay or lesbian or atheist or your wife's on IVF in terms of Catholic, I mean, a whole range of different things you could be up to, you're excluded from participating. 
And the party of the working man, the party that's designed, has just said to the teachers, well, fuck you. It's a pathetic level of debate, isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it was the level of debate was really poor because nobody could talk about balancing of rights. Nobody could talk about manifesting your belief. All it came down to was painting a picture of a victim, which was in this case transgender kids, and then tugging at the heartstrings of people to try and make them feel bad. I mean, the the calibre of debate has been extremely poor. I mean, it was a waste of time writing all of those submissions to Ruddock. All of the legal arguments that were made, all of the deeply philosophical ones that talked about the hierarchy of ethics and needs, a complete waste of time because um, in the end, these there's two categories. There's the extremely religious zealots are just going to do whatever they possibly can do to promote their worldview. Don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. And then the non-zealots either don't have the time or the intellect to stop and think about these things and are really, first off, what's going to help me get re-elected? And then secondly, you know, is there a victim here I can I can feel empathy for and tugs at my heartstrings and gets me over the line sort of thing, like without any real intellectual thought going into this? The calibre of debate was pathetic. So... So teachers were, you know, ignored in this thing. Um, I, uh, I, I downloaded the Hansard from the 9th of February, so uh, 216 pages. Now, some of that is actually stuff that wasn't to do with the Religious Discrimination Bill, other bills earlier in the day. But if you do so, – the 9th of February was the day and the following morning that where all this debate happened and do a word search – how many times did the word faith appear in Hansard that day? 535 times. Christian, 105. Muslim, 66. LGBT, 57. Gay, 56. Transgender, 28. Atheist, 6. Satanist? I didn't put it in. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it was in there, it would have been, I hope we don't get any of those. <laughs> It would have been derogatory. I mean, sure. I mean, a bill that talks about religious discrimination and and all of the words of that day. Faith could be mentioned five hundred thirty-five times, and Christian one hundred five, and atheist was just six. I think that might have been just one guy. Uh, and remember, not one atheist, humanist, rationalist, or pro-secular group was invited to appear before the two parliamentary committees. committees. That compares to 41 appearances made by religious lobbyists or religious groups. I believe the Pastafarians managed to get an audience. Was that at one of the uh, parliamentary committees? Or it might have been at some other I thing. I can't remember. Yeah. So this is according to um, a guy from the Rationalists who said that. So, um, so you know, in a sense, to me, the... The debate was kind of hijacked to some extent by gay and lesbian issues because mm. it never got off the ground on, on atheists. Like to you, 
rationalists out there, the Atheist Foundation, National Secular Lobby, it was a complete failure to to address the the rights of non-religious people in the in the whole debate. When you look at those statistics and when you look at the, the debates in the news, uh, I haven't gone through the whole Hansard, but um, it was only the LGBTQ community who was able to cut through and mm. and pull the heartstrings of some of these politicians. None of them were swayed by the poor atheist who might decide that he wants to teach math at a religious school. <laughs> yeah, but nobody cares about the atheist. Correct. They're a, yeah. they're a small percentage of the population. They never vote. Correct. Mm. We've we have it's com- it's not like they have a bigger voter lobby than the ACL. Yeah, yeah, we've completely. Do you have a personal story? Didn't me. It seemed to be yeah. It seemed no? to be a lot of the framing of the debate was personal stories. I don't have a personal yeah. story really of being discriminated against. Yes, but give me time. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, you know. As we point, oh, we'll get on to teachers in a moment. So oh, maybe I should jump ahead to teachers, seeing we're on, seeing we're talking about teachers. So um, in the Hansard, students were mentioned 118 times, teachers were mentioned 71 times. So now this is uh, an article from The Australian. So they don't have a, you know, they wouldn't be pushing the barrow of poor teachers necessarily in the Australian. So um, article in the Australian which was, religious schools have sacked, demoted or transferred teachers for being gay, using IVF, divorcing or having sex while single, a teachers union has warned. Uh, Liberal Party Senator Andrew Bragg is demanding the federal government protect teachers as well as students from discrimination. And he said a large number of teachers have been sacked just for being gay. He said, teachers wouldn't be sacked for being black, they're sacked for being gay. I think that's wrong, that's something I want to fix. This is a Liberal senator. <laughs> Where are the Labor senators? The, so this is the union, I believe, for teachers in the private sector. The Independent Education Union represents 75,000 private school teachers and has apparently been lobbying the Morrison government to include them in its legislation. Um, It's detailed how a divorced female Catholic school teacher was given a formal warning and demotion after a male colleague's car was seen outside her house. Divorced female Catholic school teacher. Another teacher was sacked for falling pregnant out of wedlock and settled out of court for 14 weeks pay in lieu of parental leave. This is according to the union. these are just sort of war stories from this union. A Catholic mm. school principal told a married teacher who fell pregnant using IVF after a two-year fertility struggle her child had been conceived in sin and asked her to resign. A regional Catholic diocese executive director told an assistant principal he was, quote, not in a genuine Catholic marriage because his wife's first marriage had not been annulled. Uh, so the National Catholic Education Commission downplayed the union's case studies as anecdotal cases that are impossible to prove. 
But the um, union branch acting deputy secretary, Pam Smith, said she'd personally intervened in cases of teachers being sacked or pushed out. She said the cases were all real, but teachers do not want to be identified for fear of losing work in other schools. Mm. Makes sense. It does. One teacher was a cool... Sorry. I was going to say, what happens if you're a swinger? Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Um, One teacher was a coordinator at a Catholic school with 10 years' experience and she was dobbed in by a parent who saw her walking in a shopping centre with her long-term female partner and child. She was called in and told a complaint had gone to the bishop, so you'll lose your leadership position. And she left the Catholic sector. Um, uh, another guy gutted when he's sacked for being gay. Um, University of Tasmania research fellow Bronwyn Fielder, who is collaborating with the University of Sydney on research into LGBTI teacher discrimination, said she'd interviewed dozens of teachers who had been sacked or asked to resign from religious schools over sexuality. Richard Colvin, committed Christian, was effectively forced to resign from her job at Ballarat Christian College in 2019 after refusing to sign the school statement of faith that declared marriage can only be between a male and a, and a woman. So this Miss Colvin, she had a husband, she's got three children, she grew up in an evangelical Christian household and she's been a missionary and she'd taught at the college for six years uh, no, 11 years. Um, but when she read the statement of belief, she said she couldn't sign that and she was hoping they could agree to disagree and she was called in and told she'd have to resign. And um, so, you know, married evangelical with kids who just says that's wrong, out to go. Mm. Um, so... Um, so while I don't trust Albanese on this issue, he said um, also, um, so, so yeah, when, when Ruddick inquiries said they couldn't find cases of discrimination, they just, uh, they just didn't ask enough teachers in religious schools. Mm. That's where they needed to go. Mm. Um, right. Um, Albanese on this issue quoted in The Australian, saying, sadly, discrimination on the basis of faith is all too real, Mr Albanese said. It might be a Muslim woman or a Sikh man being vilified on the streets because of what they are wearing. It might be a group of Jewish or Christian students being attacked because of their faith. Well, that's bullshit, Albo, because that's not what the Ruddock inquiry found. Mm. Um, uh, so... What are they doing about the vilification of Jews from the um, Muslim pulpits? That's right. Or the vilification of Satanists in every well, pulpit. Well, that, yes. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. Um, religion to religion. Yeah. Even on RN Breakfast, there was a Islamic man who came on the interview and was just like, I don't want this law. Yep. You're not in I know church. People, I know people in Christian who are Sikhs who are in Christian hospitals who are really fearful right now. They're about to lose their jobs. Like, this is not good. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Even the United Church came out and said we don't need this law. D- Dominic yeah. Perrottet. Perrottet. <laughs> Catholic with so many kids he can't keep count. He's got to check his watch to when asked how many kids have you got. Even he said, don't need this law. It's too much trouble for what it's worth. <laughs> Just back on the numbers we mentioned before, um, uh, it's 41% of kids, of Australian kids are in private schools in secondary school. Um, this outweighs the OECD average, which is 18%. Um, compare us to the USA. So 41% of our high school students are in private schools. In the US, it's 8%. In Canada, mm. it's 6%. And lower again. Yes, but they have religious freedom in America. Yeah. Well, the, you know what? They don't get government money. That's what it's all mm. about. They mm. don't get government money. And it's because their constitution has about two words that are different um, mm. and they're not allowed to. So, um, so, yeah, New Zealand, Finland and Sweden are even less than 6%. We are such an outlier in, in, in the number of kids who are in religious schools, in secondary school, and it all goes back to Goulburn, Mother Celeste threatening to close the school immediately and the other two schools in Goulburn if because the toilet block was so disgusting and she didn't have the money and so the government bailed her out and that was it. The floodgates opened. See, they should have just resumed the school. <laughs> they should have. Compulsory purchased it and said, okay, you don't have to teach, that's fine. Yep, see you later. Thanks for that. We'll take the buildings and off you go. Ah, yep. oh, dear me. Alison in the court in the chat room says bloody toilets. You're right, Alison. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry, do you want to say? Uh, John, John was asking if all of this is going in the show notes. Yes, they are, John. So it'll be a long batch of show notes. But, yep, it's all there. Okay. Um, I said before that the debate was really poor that it just got down to poor trans kids. I feel yeah. for them. I have to protect them. That's with no deep intellectual sort of things happening. So because nobody else will do it, I'm going to just give you the quick ideological sort of argument in this whole thing. Um, first of all, it's it's an ideology, religion. So... Um, And there are two simple concepts. Firstly, religious belief is just an ideology. Being a Christian is like being a communist, a libertarian, a monarchist, a republican, or a neoliberal. It's about subscribing to a set of ideas. On the other hand, race, gender, disability, sexual preference are inherent characteristics with no ideological content. So when there's a battle of competing rights and then the battle of protection from discrimination, inherent characteristics must trump ideological identities. So to give you a simple example, you could criticise Margaret Thatcher for being a neoliberal, but you could not criticise her for being a woman. One is an ideology, one is an inherent 
aspect of her. And when there's a battle between those two things, then you must give preference to the inherent um, aspect of somebody where they've got no choice. Secondly, uh, holding a belief is different to manifesting a belief. No one should or could be stopped from holding a belief. Not stop you thinking something. But manifesting a belief involves acting out that belief. And those actions could conflict with our general laws. If we excuse people from general laws simply because they hold a religious belief, then this would make religious doctrine superior to the law of the land. If religious doctrine supersedes general laws, then there's no point having laws. If we say religious people can ignore anti-discrimination laws, then we must say there's no point in having any anti-discrimination laws. This comes from Antonin Scalia. He was the most pro-religious Supreme Court judge in the history of the US Supreme Court. He made this very point in the case of Employment Division versus Smith. Here's a case where some Indians were claiming spiritual um, uh, religious um, needs to smoke an illegal drug, peyote, and the law of the land was can't smoke that, it's an illegal drug. And he was saying it doesn't matter what your religious belief is, you can't manifest that if it's contrary to the law of the land. If we just say to people, oh, it's religious belief, you can go ahead and do it, then what's the point in having a law? So none of that gets discussed in any of the uh, debate that's uh, been put forward. So um, they'll also talk about, uh, sometimes they'll talk about the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and in particular Article 18 that Australia is a party to, which says, everyone shall have the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. This right shall include freedom to have or adopt a religion or belief of his choice and freedom with others to manifest his religion or belief in worship. I'm sort of paraphrasing it there. But essentially everyone's got the right to freedom of religion and the right to manifest their religion. That's Article 18, Paragraph 1. But in Paragraph 3 it says, just in relation to that bit about manifesting one's religion, it's subject only to limitations prescribed by, by law and are necessary to protect other people's fundamental rights. So when people talk about the international covenants, yes, it talks about a, a right to believe and a right to manifest your belief, but it makes the point when it comes to manifesting that belief, to carrying it out, it's actually subject to other people's rights when it comes to yeah, manifesting. Yeah, but also to protect the morals mm. of others. It's uh, a bit of yeah. a scary language in there. The, it is, yes. Um, so, um, so this will become interesting because um, look, somewhere down the track, when this law is eventually passed, either by a crazy Albanese Labor government or by a Peter Dutton Liberal government in three years' time, 
or a Josh Frydenberg Liberal government or, <laughs> or a Michaelia Cash Liberal government. Oh, God. When it's eventually passed and it will, um, then there'll be a challenge to it under the Constitution because in order for the federal parliament to make laws in relation to this stuff, it's got to have an ability under the Constitution and the Constitution doesn't have uh, anything in it that says, oh, the Commonwealth has the right to make laws with respect to religious discrimination. What they'll be relying on is the external affairs power where they say, well, we signed this international covenant and because of that international covenant, the federal government can make these laws and... We on the secular side will challenge that and we'll say, hang on a minute, that covenant specifically said you couldn't make laws that allowed people to manifest religious belief in contravention of other people's rights. So the, you've gone beyond what the uh, um, Article 18 says. That'll be an argument down the track. And well, I think what gets the, me is yep. um, I, I can stand up and go, I think Jewish people are disgusting pigs. Mm. You know, this is part of my Islamic faith. That's fine. I think Jewish people are disgusting pigs. It's because of my Nazi beliefs. Mm. That's abhorrent. That's illegal. You know, the two sets of beliefs. Yes. Why? Why is one privileged over another? Yes, it's inconsistent. It's yeah. um, yep. So now, what you do here? is this whole religious ethos argument. So let's deal with that to some extent. Um, and you heard Christina Keneally talking about it to some extent as well. It's this idea of institutions having an ethos and that Christians in particular want to gather together to the exclusion of other people because that is part of the ethos of being a Christian and of the institutions they create. Um, so Michael Callahan, he's head of the Christian legal think tank, Freedom for Faith, he told The Guardian that um, religious discrimination was different to other forms of discrimination because it was inherently about people who gathered together. Quote, this isn't a tricky legal argument. It's the nature of religious belief that people don't have it in isolation. You've never heard of silent prayer. It's not just an individual right, it's actually a right to gather with others. It's a right to teach children. It's a right to gather on the basis of belief. And um, Nobody's stopping them teaching children. No. Just not in school hours. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I say that the right to gather together to worship is fine. The right to exclude others when worshipping is fine. I mean... You get together for your Sunday sermon, you don't but, want but people on. standing up in the aisle saying, there's a load of nonsense, stop. Like, but, but haven't there been a whole load of cases that say it's not right to have a men's only club? We'll get to that in a sec. Um, okay. Yep. So um, so the right to gather together to worship is fine. To get together to worship is fine. To exclude others when worshipping is fine. This is my view. The problem is when the gathering is not for worship, but is for normal community activities such as education, work or leisure. And religious groups want to exclude non-religious from those worship, you know, so-called, uh, from those non-worship activities. That would divide and cripple our society. 
Of course, religious groups say that worship activities cannot be separated from other lifestyle activities. I disagree. But if you really want to do that, then it's hypocritical to take the benefits of an integrated society while erecting your own gated community. Go and fucking live on Libertarian Island if you want that. So they want the benefits that flow from a civilization that is integrated and the movement of people allows us to you know, have all the wonderful things that we have. Yet when it chooses them, they want to be able to say, no, gated community, not part of it. I mean, this is not good for our community in terms of the success of our community and it's not good for the individuals who get discriminated against. I just don't buy the argument that uh, the entirety of somebody's life and activity is always religious in its nature. That's just BS. Um, and uh, that's, that's the sort of religious ethos argument that Christina Keneally and others run, and it just gets run and nobody pushes back ever and says, hold on a minute, what do you mean a religious institution has an ethos? What, what do you mean it applies in these situations? That's bullshit. Never. It just slides on through. So, um, so yeah, I've spoken about that. Um, uh, really, these religious zealots are going to come back with this and they're going to keep going and they're going to win because mm. the whole dominionist movement has been an amazing success and it's all happening while we're asleep and mm -hmm. they are actively working to put religious zealots in position of power because the rest of us just are asleep. They've taken over the Liberal Party and on yep. this occasion they were one number short and mm -hmm. the right things are going the next time they won't be, they'll cruise through. So, uh, so it will come back. And you know, just in relation to the Seven Mountains thing, um, you know, the whole idea is that you seed Christian people to become leaders in the Seven Mountains, and the Seven Mountains are education, religion, family, business, government slash military, arts slash entertainment, and media. And um, you know. Clearly, they're working on the Liberal Party. Uh, clearly, they've just got an influence in the Labor Party as well, with Christina Keneally and Albanese. Mm. Even in the reporting of this, like I know when the National Secular Lobby was meeting with the ABC and complaining about not getting coverage for what they were trying to do, I had the feeling that the people they were meeting with in the high echelons of the ABC had to be the response they were getting made them deeply suspicious that at least one of the persons was highly religious and mm. a bit of investigating, it seemed that that was the case. I mean, um, they're already in positions of power. It sounds all very conspiratorial, doesn't it? It sounds mm. um, like I should be with an Australian flag and marching at Canberra as part <laughs> of the convoy when I'm saying this. But these people are admitting to this. Yeah. So um so there we go. Um let's just talk about So what do we do? Do we quit and join the Liberal Party? No, no, no. you stay in the Labor Party. 
<laughs> and agitate. And just put just keep putting motions through and yep. keep and try and get better and candidates keep... and keep arguing. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, vote green and independent um, and then preference <laughs> labour. And say, see, if you here's the problem. Sorry. I think that's I think that's it. But um um okay. unless you win the court case, in which case we'll talk again about your right. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll talk it'd be a brief conversation. <laughs> so um so Labour's <laughs> tactic in this was to seek amendments to the bill. Um, things to do with um, some of the hate speech and uh, other things. But if their amendments weren't passed, then they were going to pass the bill in its entirety and seek amendments in the Senate. So they openly said there were things in the bill that they didn't like, but rather than vote against the bill, they were going to let it, they were actually going to pass in favour of the bill and argue about it in the Senate. Mm. And, and that is, in fact, what they did. So in the Parliament, the religious discrimination bill was dealt with first. We'll talk about the sex discrimination bill in a moment. But the bill, the Labor Party tried a few amendments around the edges of it, all got knocked back. So they voted, they voted in favour of the Religious Discrimination Bill with the idea it will go to the Senate and we'll argue again up there. What did you think of that tactic? I found it really galling and really distressing. Mm. It was just so gutless. And the reason was because they didn't want, want to be wedged. wedged. So they wanted to be able to say... We care to, about everybody. ..to say to some imam in a Western Sydney electorate. Well, we tried to, we passed the bill. Don't blame us. We passed it. We're in favour of it. Look, we, we actually voted for this. They, they think they're avoiding the wedge by saying we passed the bill. Mm. I still think Morrison is going to run the next election on. Mm. I tried to pass the bill and Labor wouldn't let me. And... Mm. Yeah, don't, don't let facts get in the way of a good argument. Exactly. I mean, there'll be all sorts of bullshit in the next election about Labor wanting to introduce death taxes and being a high-taxing government. I've, I've, and, I've already seen, I think it was the Courier Mail, it was yeah. one of the Murdoch rags, yeah. saying it doesn't matter what you feel about Morrison, he's obviously the right person for the, the uh, next election. I think I saw that too, yeah. Yes. I mean, so... So Morris will be out on the hustings with the religious people saying you can't trust Labor. They stuffed up my um, attempts to pass this bill. I tried my best. They wouldn't let me. You better vote for me again so I can get it done, finish the job off. Mm. I mean, mm. it doesn't – I still think he'll just lie. Someone finish him off. He'll just lie about the fact that Labor voted for the bill in the end. And he'll make mm. the point, which is valid to some extent, that they said they were going to vote against it in the Senate and they're going to disrupt it there. So um, – I think I think he'll still convince the same uh, groups that he's their man and Labor's bad and Labor can't mm -hmm. be trusted on this issue. Don't vote Labor. He'll mm -hmm. make a compelling argument for it. I, yes, 
I just don't think that it was a sound strategy to vote against it, hoping to this whole small target thing. Uh, I I still think you'll be able to make it up and say you're clearly against it, and that's not really making it up. It's the truth. It'll actually be yeah. able to mount a truthful argument. Look, read mm. between the lines. Look at the strategy. Look at what they're doing. They're clearly not wanting to let me do what I wanted to do. You can't trust them on religious discrimination. And mm. so I think he can still run that wedge if he wants to, mm. and, of course, he he will. And, mm. you know, it was only... I think he does seem a bit rattled, like even today he came out with mm. his new wedge, which is... Um, that the Labor Party is supportive of criminals or something, so he's mm. trying to get legislation through around deporting people who commit crimes. Yes, yeah. Even though it's been like yep. quite obvious that Alex Hawke already has, you know, godlike powers yep. around who can come in and who can't. <laughs> so it's just, like he's just going to find one of these issues. That he's just going to keep just keep make at it, it. So it's, exactly, it's like China. I mean, all along yeah. the way. Yes. Labor has been in lockstep with the government about China. Yes. Yet Dutton comes out and says, well, clearly China wants a Labor government, you know. <laughs> and they've been in lockstep the whole way. The same yeah. with ASIO. ASIO supposedly is worried about Labor candidates who were, um, you know, uh, susceptible Getting to foreign funding. influence. And the ASIO chief has said, "I never said anything of the of the kind." And Albanese had to come. Albanese had to come out and say, "I get briefed by ASIO all the time. They've never said anything like that." But it doesn't stop them from saying it. No, Un- unlike government ministers who fly up to Manila on a regular basis, yeah. and the AFP were warning about susceptibility to blackmail. Indeed. So um, the Speaker of the House um, has instructed Peter Dutton to never repeat that. Really? Today. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Um, but it's probably too late. <laughs> yeah. Look, I've got in the show notes, I won't go through it all now, I've got um, articles that talk about which Labor members in the party room were saying, no, we should vote against this bill, and which ones were saying we should vote for the bill and argue it in the Senate. So I won't go through them all. Maybe at another time but it'll be in the show notes. Um, and so, yeah, so on the day, Labor moved some amendments. They weren't passed. Labor and the government passed the Religious Discrimination Bill. The people who voted against it were the Independents and the Greens, and it was after the bill had passed and sent off to the Senate, that we then had the discussion over the sex discrimination bill. And an amendment to that was moved by an independent, uh, Rebecca Sharkey, initially saying, making it illegal to discriminate against students and teachers. That got knocked back by the government and the Labor Party. And then she put up another amendment saying basically protecting students and that got up and Labor finally voted for something. And as I said before, members, uh, half a dozen members, no, five members of the, of the Liberal Party crossed the floor and that's why we ended up with uh, changes to the amendment to the proposed bill that says... Um, Religious institutions can't expel 
gay, lesbian or trans kids. And, um, and of course, that then goes to the Senate. And the Christian lobby basically said, hold on a minute, what do you mean we can't expel gay kids, lesbian kids and transgender <laughs> kids? If there's any risk that this goes any further, we cannot risk this happening, shelve everything. So mm-hmm. the Religious Discrimination Bill and these amendments to the Sex Discrimination Act are shelved because the religious lobby went, holy heck, we're going to lose some rights here. So it just shows that, um, that uh, you know, basically all along the way, um, uh, once changes were made to protect LGBTQI children, the Christian groups just didn't want it and neither did the government. They gave up mm. at that point. So for all their talk about wanting protection from discrimination, mm. They actually wanted to keep the ability to discriminate. Yes. It's such a sad and sorry tale of Australian politics. It is. It's but just, just so ugly. See, there you are. There's a good wedge issue. Yes. Because the vast majority of the population are going, look, it's fine to discriminate against the teachers, but you can't do it to the kids. Yes. And so surely Labor could stand up and go, well, we voted to protect the kids, and the Liberals wouldn't even do that. Yes, that that's what they'll yeah, say. That's kind of what they're saying. Yeah, but, for, but but you know, Morrison will frame it as in I tried to get religious discrimination through; they wouldn't let me. And you know, they're, they're going to listen to Morrison, and they're not going to listen to Albanese. Um, he'll he'll have enough uh, ammunition to create a word salad that. Sounds appealing to the religious groups. Um, I guess the only thing I probably would say in Albo's defence is I imagine that room full of all those leaders and all the factional stuff would be pretty hot. And for for to keep this small target, he must have a lot of goodwill. Like I think it must be a testament to his character that he's keeping all these people in check, that, he, that like, because... So many of those leaders must be thinking, I don't know if this small target thing is going to work. I mm. got into leadership so I could stand up for what I believe in. Just going to keep doing this, are we, Albo? And he says yes, and they do. Well, I so think they're, they're looking at the polls, be, aren't they? I guess so. I guess so. They mu- But they must trust his political manoeuvring. Mm. Yep. Um, yeah. Look, oh, I-, I noticed that. When that poll came out, the Murdoch press got even more agitated about how untrustworthy Albo was. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, um, it's interesting. My daughter in Sydney rang me up and she said, "Dad, my my news feed is full of all this stuff about religious discrimination stuff. Is it, isn't that what you've been banging on about for the last six years?" <laughs> yep. Six years ahead of my time. <laughs> uh, so did she like one of your posts or? No, it's it like just in her news feed or whatever. It's yeah, just yeah, there's yeah. all this discussion about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, there we go. If you're in the chat room, keep chatting away there. Um, uh, let me see. Um, good comments. Keep them coming. All right. I think that rounds out the sort of religious discrimination talk for the time being. Wow. That's an hour and a half already. <laughs> is that right? Is it? No. Is it? Oh, yeah, it is. Holy. Jeez, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Well, it's it's an hour and twenty five minutes. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about something far more uplifting. The uh, the guys in Canberra, the convoy. <laughs> yes. they're not asleep, are they? No, <laughs> they're awake. They've just picked the wrong team, I think. Oh dear, dear listener, have you? Well, they're not asleep because of the diarrhea they've got. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are frightening. Um, if you haven't seen some of the stuff going around YouTube and Twitter with the video footage of these people, I've got a little bit here. I'm not sure how long I'll keep playing. I'll, I'll play some of it just so you get a bit of a taste for what was going on in Canberra with this, uh, with this Canberra convoy. Here we go. All you do is help pedophiles, isn't it? Hey, since the vaccine came out, what happened? Hey, 50,000 cases a day. Does that work? It's not working, isn't it? Shoot me, son, you're a great enemy. should have given a language warning before that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> wow. I noticed that they were very agitated about the Rothman Childs. Yeah, that's yes. yes. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. So if you're going to be anti-Jewish, it's yes. the Rothschilds. Yes, mm. that's right. Rothman's, and, uh, and maybe, the anti the maybe they're anti-cigarettes. Wasn't Rothman's a brand of cigarettes? Yeah, it was. Rothman's was a brand of cigarettes. Maybe that's it. She's, she's confused. Look, the, um, there's, there's more of it in that stuff, but of course they were anti-vax and they were anti-mask and anti-sort of government control, but there was a lot of pedophilia anger in there. 
from these people, the various ones that I talked to, as if there was some well-known pedophilia ring other than the Catholic Church operating in this country. And uh, it's clearly... Yeah, there was the Anglicans as yeah, well. Yes. Clearly imported nonsense from America where these people mm. are just going and uh, in, in adopting this American argument. Um, a lot of stuff about uh, sovereign citizens. So sovereign citizen movement is basically... Uh, you know, the whole setting up of Australia's constitution was invalid and, and you can just remove yourself from government control by declaring certain things. Um, so, you know, these people don't want a change of government. They want government erased, essentially, this sort mm. of sovereign citizen movement. A uh, lot of godly stuff, a lot of Christian references, a lot of flags and a little bit of uh, nanobots and tinfoil hats. Just a motley collection of misfits and just plain nutters in that group. I feel so sorry for the police and security and yeah. everyone else who had to just witness the mob. Well, according to um, Meryl Dory, who, of course, is the Australian anti-vax nutters, or whatever they're called, mm -hmm. uh, there were a million people at Canberra. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lots of doctored photos. Yeah. And so there's really good stuff on YouTube and Twitter where sort of citizen vloggers go out and just talk to these people and you get all that sort of stuff and um, check some of it out because I didn't really see that in the mainstream media so much, um, just exhibiting mm -hmm. the nuttery of these people and the, just the horribleness of them. So, and is that is that um, because of the way they treat them? Like it would be probably dangerous by the sounds of it for I, some I, of the journalists to go down there. I, I think, yeah. Well, I don't know, but they could have just gone in plain clothes and just interviewed people. I don't mm. know, like which what a lot of these people seem to do. Um, mm. They're too crazy to be dangerous. I think. I don't know. Like you're in a. I, I don't I know. I think they probably are. Getting I mean, to the side of dangerous. There was that crazy woman there who looked like she was going to try and spit she on the cameraman. Yeah. So that was – you're right. Maybe it was too hard for a badged mainstream media group mm. to turn up. You're right. It probably could only have been these sort of privateers who could do it with safety and really get in amongst them. Maybe that is why. But certainly – Did you see the – um, the article in The Guardian of somebody who was a complete COVID conspiracy and has now changed their mind. No. What what caused them to change their mind? Um, how nice the police treated her when she was arrested. Really? Yeah. Basically arrested her... All her, all basically, her friends had said, "Oh yeah, um, go and stand in front of the convoy, stop, stop the traffic, or whatever it was." And then when she was arrested, they all ran away. And then the police were nice and said, "Look, you've been so helpful because you yeah, gave all the details." Uh, and and then were sharing their stories about how difficult it had been policing during the times of COVID, right? And what they'd seen. And she was going, well, hang on, this is a completely different story from what I've been hearing. 
and it planted mm. that seed in their, her mind. Yep. Um, and there were, yeah, just a bunch of things. Once you once you got that initial seed, you start seeing the cracks in the arguments. Right. Mm. Yep. It was, um, but you know how much QAnon and and how the belief that the election had been stolen from Trump. Yes. All of that came as one big package. Yeah. Yep. Um, so if they can be talked around, would it not be prudent to send some people down there to address their concerns? What you have to do is it seems you have to arrest them nicely. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean give them what they want, but, I mean, it's really, I think it's really ta- not taking over, but it's getting, like, uh, a very wide audience in America and, you yeah, know, I mean, some so, of their grievances are, you know, real to them. I think all of their grievances are real to them. Yeah. yeah. To, to, to um, you know, to the Christians, the Satanists are horrible people. Yes. It, it's, it, it's not that they're making this up. You know, what they believe is absolutely real to them. It's not that they're just spouting this for the hell of it. Yeah. Mm. So shouldn't we talk talk them through? It'd be on talking to these people. They're a rabid well, mob, I reckon. If 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 you can get a one to one conversation, and you don't try and push your point and ask them and get mm. them questioning, it's possible. But they need to be open to the possibility that yes. they might be wrong. Mm. And you need yeah. to. It, it's it's a time consuming process, and you have to Very. do it one on one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't hold out much hope. I, I think a lot of these people were isolated and feeling abandoned by the government. Mm. And I think, I think, had there been proper social infrastructure in place to look after them, they wouldn't have been ripe for conspiracy theories. Yes. Pe- people are going, oh, you know, I, I don't like the way this has happened to me. Mm. Uh, therefore COVID isn't real rather yeah. than and therefore we need better social services we need better unemployment benefits we need except the typical protester in the January 6 capital riots was actually well-to-do American like they mm. weren't they weren't hard up Americans lots no. of them flew in and took time off and had the money to to go there like my understanding is that is that that January six capital rights was made up of surprisingly affluent middle class American. It was just nuts. It wasn't really a social security downtrodden poverty type of person involved. That's true. Mm. And it seems like they're getting better funded all the time. Yeah. I was listening to a really interesting podcast about this because I think I probably have 10 or 11 people who I would say are in my close inner circle have all become victims of this. So I'm constantly in listening and certainly of Joel about how we can persuade them. They must be persuadable. Is that because you're hanging around Um, with nurses all the time? (laughs) No, it's flight attendants. It's yummy mummies. It's... Gold Coast hairdressers. Well-being, exactly. You're in the wellness industry. The, the Pete, Evan, the Pete I mean, Evans crowd. Know, 
<laughs> yeah. And, but I also think that, you know, these are all people who've been profoundly impacted. You know, their parents have died while they've been here and their families in Europe or, yeah. you know, they've all got a really like painful story and yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm babbling, but yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't Don. The trouble is, Don's got a comment here. The trouble is, Shay, these people will not believe anything outside of their own narratives. No. It, can't give up on on my people. It's it's a bit like it must uh, be a way. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll point you to some videos about something called street epistemology. Mm-hmm. Okay. But and if is, you've got any videos to counter the bizarre videos about people having tremors and fits after they've been vaccinated, that would also but, be good. The the problem is, uh, <laughs> any evidence you give will be mainstream media will be totally. That's they, totally, yeah. They, they just won't believe it. So, so it's, it's but a they send me down. stuff. So I'll just say, and, look, I've been and, willing and, to hear you guys out. Perhaps. But, you'll so, give so me the, a run it's on it's, this. it's more. What about that? Do you find convincing? Yeah. What's what's the best mm. argument in that? Um, how do you know it's true? Yeah. Is it possible that they are mistaken? Alison made a point in the chat room, and Alison, I saw the same thing. She uh, writes here, I read something about the biggest common factor of people who went to the US Capitol were they came from areas that are no longer white majorities. I saw the same thing. I don't know where that was, but, uh, yeah, interesting. People who just You will not replace us? Mm. Yeah. Ah, what to do? What to do? (laughs) <laughs> I just don't know. So much, isn't it? Shut, <laughs> shut down social media for six months. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, what to do, what to do. Maybe when times are tough, well, all we need to do is just sit back and sing. Take me to the That should have come with a trigger warning. <laughs> it should have, shouldn't it? <laughs> this podcast has become so sophisticated. Now I know I don't have to watch the videos before the that's, podcast. That's indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To have to sit through it twice. So um, did you watch the 60 Minutes? No. Uh, right. Joe, did you watch it at all? I don't watch TV. Right, okay. Well, I did so you don't have to. And... Um, Thank you. <laughs> it just was, it was as painful as you can imagine. Really, the thing, uh, the interesting part was, you know, basically his wife, Jen, sort of took the blame for uh, the Hawaiian holiday and said, oh, it was my decision and I realise it was a mistake now. Shouldn't have done it. So she sort of took the blame for that. But also had a real dig at uh, Grace Tame and said, mm. you know, uh, I'd like my girls to be, you know, strong and independent, but I think there's just sort of good manners should be there as well. Basically, taking a chip at her for for that, and uh, and just a few other things that she said. Really, you know, if you had any sympathy for Jen Morrison and thinking beforehand, you poor woman married to that idiot. By the end of it, you thought, 
She's probably got what she deserves. So <laughs> that was my feeling at the end of it. But yeah. um, really, uh, I think that video with him playing the uh, ukulele was actually um, he did a second take a bit later on. I'll just I'll just play this one for you. This is where he really got into it. He looked a lot more comfortable with that one. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, let me just check I've got what videos I've got here. I've done that one, that one, that one. Samantha um, Maiden tweeted about that she actually asked Carl if, you know, if the ukulele was impromptu and, no, no, Scott Morrison approached him before the 60 minutes and said, you know. Let's, let me do it. Can I do it? Of course he did. Of course he did. Uh, Real crowd pleaser, obviously. He'd been brainstorming with his. um... (laughs) The, The same group who said, it's been a tough week. Why don't you go to a hairdresser's and wash some woman's hair <laughs> to prove you're an every man, every an average Joe? Why don't you do it must that? Be, yeah. <laughs> oh dear me. So, um, you know, really, politicians' wives and kids should be off limits, except when the bastards bring them into the whole thing and try and use them as yep. a selling tool. Then. The wives are fair game. You know, the poor kids have got no mm-hmm. choice, so you're going to lay off them. But, you know, if you want to enter into that sphere now, then you're fair game for comment. So, yeah, so that was that. Uh, we had the hair washing, which we've already mentioned. And, um, oh, so the other thing was there was that apology to Brittany Higgins and the other women who had been uh sexually abused or uh discriminated against or suffered in Parliament House. Did you hear about that at all? Yeah. Yeah. So initially Morrison wasn't going to speak, but Albanese insisted he was going to. So Morrison decided, well I better show up and give the apology. So And then the women weren't invited initially, but then Rachel Miller spoke out and then Dali Stegel extended them an, an invitation with 24 hours or something on the clock to go. Correct. But Mm. um, he's mucked it up because in referring, as he did, to her in the way that he did, there's a criminal case underway Mm. and it was basically, you know, saying, well, of course this happened. And with a criminal trial coming up, you're not allowed to say these things, comment on things where there's a criminal trial coming up. So I've got a links to some articles which are in the show notes. Um, show notes, incidentally, available for anyone who's a patron because uh, they come through Patreon. Um, uh, and a lot of legal people saying, well, it's going to be impossible to find a jury now that mm. has not been influenced by this. And apparently in Canberra it's mandatory that these trials have to be by jury. You can't do them by judge only. So it's going to cause a big problem in terms of uh, running that trial now. So there we go. Um, Mm. 
Uh, let me just see. One other thing before we finish, um, seeing we're doing this remotely and you're not having to travel, we can throw in a couple of minutes extra. Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, Ukraine. I mean, what have we got all the time is uh, spokespersons for the US government saying, oh, our intelligence tells us that this is happening. Our intelligence tells us that's happening. But anybody, On maybe yeah, next week. But yeah, and but anybody who has watched the so-called talks about the assurances of weapons of mass destruction looks at these assurances now and just says, "I don't believe you," unless mm -hmm. you provide some proof. And mm -hmm. here was a really interesting thing that happened uh, on the US. Um, where well, actually, I'll yes, I'll play this one first. Okay, so uh, have a have a listen or a watch to this one. We have previously noted our strong concerns regarding Russian disinformation and the likelihood that Moscow might create, seek to create, a false flag operation to initiate military activity. Now we can say that the United States has information that Russia is planning to stage fabricated attacks by Ukrainian military or intelligence forces as a pretext for a further invasion of Ukraine. You made an allegation that they might do that. Have they actually done it? Uh, what we know, Matt, is what we what I have just said, that they have engaged in this activity, well, uh, in this planning well, activity. Well, but, activity. But let me, let me because, because obviously this is, not, this is not the first time we've made uh, these reports public. You'll remember that just a few well, weeks I, ago. I'm sorry, you, made, made, made what report public? It's yeah. an action that you say that they have taken, but you have shown no evidence to, 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 to confirm that. And I'm going to get to the next question here, which is what evidence do you have to support the idea that there is some propaganda film in the, in, in the making? Matt, this is derived uh, from information known to the U.S. government, intelligence information that we have declassified. I think you well, know. Okay, well, where, where is it? Where, where is this information? It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where is the declassified information? I just delivered it. No, you made a series of allegations and would statements. You, would you like us to print it out the topper? Because you will see a transcript of this briefing that you can print out for that, yourself. That's not evidence, Ned. That's you saying it. That's not evidence. I'm sorry. <laughs> where, where is the declassified information other than you coming out here and saying, Matt, I'm sorry you don't like the format, uh, but we have declassified. It's not the format; it's the content. I'm sorry you don't like the content. I'm sorry it's you. I'm sorry like you are doubting this. the information that is in the possession of the U.S. government. No, I, you just come out and say this and expect us just to, to to believe it without you showing a shred of evidence that it's actually true. Other than when I ask or when anyone else asks, what's the information? You said, well, I just gave it to you, which was just you making a statement. Matt, this is derived from intelligence, intelligence in which uh, we well, have confidence, We in which we have confidence. The otherwise, confidence you had in, in, otherwise, in WMD. Uh, otherwise. How good was that? The Bible, the mm. Bible is true because it says in the Bible that it's true. <laughs> yes. How good was that to finally that was really good, held yeah. to account. Yeah. Can we have some of that here? Oh, it'd be good to no. have some of that. No. I mean, it's weird how they have these spokespeople for these things. They're not mm. the actual – this is sort of an American thing, isn't it, where we have our politicians who front 
the media for these things, but they have these sort of spokespeople who come Press out. Press officers, yeah. yes. And um, I guess... Has that always been the case? Is that since Donald Trump? No, it's been around. It's always been the case. Yeah, and it's just weird that the they... House. That they purport to be so mentally attuned to the person they're representing that they can speak on their behalf on a wide range of topics. It's just an odd system that they have. But I guess those people are less able to just say, bug you guys, I'm off. I mean, I'm not going to stand here and argue with you because that's their job is to be at these things delivering these. (laughs) They're less able to, I guess, in that. But I loved the way he just said, what evidence? You've, just you saying <laughs> it is not evidence. I have no problem with the format. It's the content. Yes. Well, I'm not sorry you don't like the content, content but, you know, we, we've, we, we've got knowledge. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, what's going on here is Russia has got troops in Russia yes. or in Belarus by permission from the Belarusian government, they're on their side of the fence and the rest of the world is saying, or the Americans are saying, you can't put people lined up on your own border facing our way. And it's precisely the argument that the Russians are making, well, you can't put weapons in the hands of Ukraine and aim them our way. Like it's the same argument, Mm. but these people can't see it. Uh, the hypocrisy of it. Um, so, um, the uh, I actually the- listened to a podcast on Ukraine yeah. yesterday, today. Yes, um, history hit had an interview with a former UK journalist who'd been there uh, about ten years ago, I think, mm-hmm. and talking a little bit about the history, right, for a bit more in- insight. Yep, and he had a different take. Um, uh, more that the uh, the the CIA is very much a Russia Today. the The fact that it was a CIA led coup is a Russia Today puff piece, right? And that actually it wasn't. It was a popular demonstration, and he was saying he knew this because he was on the ground at the time and reporting. Did, and did he refer to the taped uh, um, recording that was leaked, where the US officials are discussing? who they're going to put in charge, and Yats was their man or something like that. Did he refer to that? No, he didn't refer to that. Yeah, because like they're caught on tape discussing who they're going to put in as the leader and who their preference was and how they were, you know, manoeuvring for that to happen. So um, the uh, Liz Truss is a UK foreign secretary, so I guess like our foreign minister, and... Sergei Lavrov is Russian's foreign minister. So they were in some press conference somewhere. So the UK foreign secretary, the Russian foreign minister. And the Russian foreign minister catches her out. He says, do you recognise the sovereignty of Russia over the Rostov and Voronezh regions? And after a pause, Trust says, Great Britain will never recognise Russian sovereignty over these regions. And he then explained to her that they are just Russian regions and already just parts of the territory within Russia already. Just uh, 
the people in charge of these things have no idea what they're doing. Um, I think we have basically come to the end of this. I had stuff for China, but that can be next week. Um, how do we go? Nine twenty. You don't have any more scomo. Uh, oh, actually, I do. Yes. Hang on. What have I got in the graphics there? What have? Um, oh, yeah. I'll play this one. Sorry, a bit more scomo. Get this out of the way. I said it at the start of the pandemic. I've worn out the carpet on the side of my bed here, particularly down in Canberra, where I spent most of the pandemic on my knees, praying and praying. Before the last election, uh, you prayed for a miracle. Yeah. I pray for miracles every day, Carl. <laughs> you might need more than a miracle this time. You might need the second coming. <laughs> well, I believe in that too. <laughs> there you go. He's wearing out the carpet, Ooh. praying. <laughs> well, you know, they've been promising the second coming for 2,000 years. All right. And actually the other one I've got here, Joe, thanks. Uh, one other clip, just <laughs> back to Americans. Um, they, they invade so many countries that um, it's hard to keep track. Just, mm. just watch this one. And there is no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. When you're invading so many countries, it's just really hard to keep track. Well, they haven't invaded Ukraine yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's the world we live in. Dear listener, we're doing our best to explain it here on the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. If you want to help out, become a patron, go on the website, click on the links that get you there. I'll be back next week with a solo topic of some sort. I quite enjoyed my money episode last week, so I hope you did enjoy that, uh, the way the money washes around the world. Uh, So next week it'll be some topic like that, and I'll be back with Joe and Shay in a fortnight Fortnight's time. So from me, for the moment, it's goodbye. Good night. Thank you very much. And it's a good night from him. See you next week. Congratulations, Trevor, on five years of fine podcasting. Like a good communion wine, your podcasts get better with every year. Dear listener, don't be seduced by Trevor's dulcet tones or seemingly reasonable arguments. When it comes to Trevor, remind yourself of the wise words of Brian's mother. He's not the Messiah, he's just a very naughty boy.